Hey, Dan Blewett here. Welcome back. This is Dear Baseball Gods episode 64, and we just had two great guests in a row. So if you missed the last couple episodes, uh, 62, we had Coach Sean Cole, uh, former National Pitching Coach of the Year with the Arizona Wildcats. He's currently the head coach, or I'm sorry, the assistant coach, pitching coach at Eastern Kentucky University. And then in episode 63, we had uh, my friend Kevin Vance, uh, University of Rhode Island's pitching coach, back on the show. And we talked a ton about recruiting and kind of what a day in the life is like as a D1 baseball player. So two really good episodes, so definitely check those out. Tonight I've uh, I've got a, it's not a sore spot, but I hate warming up. I think warming, I think warm-ups are awful. I think they're tedious. I think they are often overplayed in their value. And so I wanted to do an episode where I talk about what you should expect from a warm-up and why and some of the elements that you want in a good warm-up and then why we should probably just not worry so darn much about warming up. So specifically, I'm referring to throwing. So this is for baseball, this is for softball. Uh, I think just the whole idea of a warm-up in throwing is just a little bit overblown. So number one, let's get to it. So currently, I feel like the state of warming up is that everyone feels like they have to have all these different exercises in order to throw a baseball, in order to throw a softball in pregame. Now, I think this is it's a positive mindset to have. I think it's good that we're sort of paying attention to what do we need to do to help prevent injuries as much as we can? What do we need to do to prepare the arm for throwing? Uh, and you know, what should we teach young athletes to be doing on a regular basis so that they stay healthy and they can you know, develop some professionalism and consistency and all this other stuff. I think all that's fantastic. Uh, obviously, we didn't have that stuff probably 20 years ago where guys probably just got the ball and they threw it or they ran around a little bit and that was that. And now it's vastly different, but I think we're in danger, and I've seen it already. I think we're in danger of getting so far to the other side of the continuum where we end up, our warm-up becomes basically our pacifier. You know, it becomes our baby's bottle, becomes something that we can't perform without and something that we neurotically feel like we have to have if we're going to be successful or if we're just able to throw that day or we sort of fear injury is going to set sail and or set in if we uh, if we don't have a, this credible, rigorous warm-up. So number one, I, as much as I possibly can, try not to take my own personal preferences and biases into training other people. However, I do listen to them and I try to figure out, is my experience, is my feeling towards this maybe consistent among other people? And is the way that I feel about this certain thing perhaps indicative of the greater population and not just myself? So with warmups, I think, I certainly have some biases because I was a pitcher and you know I was injured a lot. And so warming up was a bitter pill that I had to swallow probably more than most players. However, I do not think I'm alone in saying that warm-ups just suck, right? They suck. They're terrible. They're boring. They're awful. They're tedious. No one likes warming up. We always want to do the thing that we're out there to do, whether it's you're in the gym and you're going to squat that day or you're going to deadlift or whatever. Uh, if you're running, if you're pitching, if you're just playing catch in the outfield, it doesn't matter what you're doing. We all feel like there's something that we need to do before going out there to enhance that activity or to prevent injury to that activity. That's pretty much the two things that you would do a warm up for, to enhance our ability to do that activity or to prevent injury 
by warming up, quote unquote. Now, what does warming up really mean? So warming up to me means we're pumping blood and warmth, obviously, duh, into the area so that we increase the muscle elasticity. We know that warm muscles, I think this is just sort of common sense, even if you didn't know this from a textbook, it's just like, hey, when my muscles are warm, they feel more pliable, they're more loose, they're more elastic, I can do more stuff, right? Everyone feels better uh, getting loose on a hot July day than they do in a cold, uh, rainy March day, right? So that's that much is intuitive. But what happens in the body, besides putting lots of blood flow into it, and with all that, all the metabolic nutrients and all the good stuff into your into your joint, we also promote optimum blood volume, and we also promote optimum deep joint temperature, and we also promote um, optimum like volume in the uh, in the capsule in the capsule, the, you know, the liquid. So within our elbow joint, for example, like there's a capsule that keeps all the joint fluid essentially in between the two bones, right? It's not just muscles and ligaments. The muscles and ligaments are within the capsule. And so in that capsule, you're filled with, it's filled with fluid. And that fluid is just like this thin, you know, clear liquid that, you know, gives you that just like the oil in an engine. And so that stuff has a viscosity as well. So when that stuff is warmer, it can do its job and lubricate better than uh, when it's colder. So all those things are important. We want to have our, our joints and our muscles as like well-oiled and lubricated and, and hot and ready to go as we can. Valid reasons to warm up. Uh, beyond that, our warm-up should include things that make the movement better, right? So if uh, a great example is uh, we saw Lucas, my partner and I, we saw Matt Wenning uh, at a conference he spoke on powerlifting. Matt Wenning is like a world record powerlifter who squatted over a thousand pounds. And he said that his warmups would make most people puke because he'll put 315 pounds on the bar and do sets of 40 RDLs or 30 RDLs. It's a Romanian deadlift. It's an incredible hamstring and glute and lower back exercise. And he does that because a common weakness in powerlifters is hamstrings and their low back. And to boost his squat up when he's going to squat that day or deadlift that day, he will absolutely destroy his hamstrings and his glutes and his lower back before doing those movements because a it's going to sort of pre-stretch and, and warm those areas and it's going to bolster his long-term strength because he's spending so much more time on that weakness while he's warming up so very very important thing to do so if like you're, you know you're going to squat in the gym uh doing some sort of squatting motion or lunging motion to get your body ready for the motion that you're about to do the heavier squats is important that makes a lot of sense right so here's my issue with the modern throwing warm-up number one i feel like every coach and i feel like it's a little more so on those who haven't played as much uh want to put like all these great new exercises into it that they think oh this is the look at this new rotator cuff exercise i learned or this is a cool thing we can do we should do this as a warm-up and suddenly you start stacking all these pt exercises into your warm-up and so suddenly now to throw a ball, I have to do exercise A, I have to do exercise B, I have to do exercise C, I have to do exercise D, I have to do E and F and G and H. You have to end up doing all of these things to go out and throw. And suddenly our warm-ups start to get really long. They start to look less and less like throwing. And they start to become very tedious and long. And they start to suck joy away from the activity itself. Like most Ball players like playing catch, especially as a pitcher, that's your craft. So to do all these exercises that are 
not super similar, but target those muscles, right? Like doing your external rotators and pull-aparts and uh, maybe some rhythmic stabilizations and all these different stretches and mobility exercises. These things are great, but then the question is how ready do we have to be to throw and why can't throwing be a good warm-up for throwing? That's my main thesis here. And that's my main thesis with a lot of things. So if you look at power lifters, if you look at uh, Olympic lifters, and I think lifting is a good analogy because number one, it's very high stress. Number two, it can definitely cause injury if you don't warm up well. Uh, number three, it's technical. And number four, it's again, high stress on the body. So if you're gonna go and you're gonna eventually, you know, work your way up to squatting 500 pounds today, in your warm up, couldn't you do lighter weight squats? Like, couldn't you do goblet squats as part of your warm up with some other exercise and some other exercise? But isn't the thing that's going to warm you up the best for squatting, squatting? Now, it could be a slightly different variation. Again, like a goblet squat versus a barbell squat. You could have like a wider stance versus the slightly narrower stance that you might do your heaviest squats at. Uh, there's lots of other things to do, but at the core, I think one of the best warm ups, and I know this when I'm in the gym, is the actual motion itself. It's not to say it's the only thing I do. But there's something for to be said for doing the motion itself. So when I do pitching lessons, most of the time, the kids that I work with, they don't come in an hour before their lesson. They don't come in 30 minutes before the lesson. They roll in a couple of minutes before their lesson. Now, I could bark at them. I'd get them there 30 minutes, 20, 15 minutes early if I wanted to. But a lot of times they have schedules and it's tight. It's in and out. And, um, you know, I don't want them to pay me extra money for a 45 minute lesson where our first 15 minutes are warm-ups and all that other stuff like the core of our 30 minute lesson should be instruction and you know my eyes on them so but we don't really do much warming up but we always work on a structured routine so the very first throws that we'll do are either dry and they look like throwing because we're going through a motion with maybe a water bottle or just their body and after that we're going from 30 feet and we're doing a very specific drill to help them feel out a new motion in their delivery. And then we're back up to 40 feet maybe. Again, these are like 30 mile per hour throws. And uh, we're doing another drill that's very mechanically specific, uh, that's sort of segmenting the delivery to help them isolate sort of one part that we're trying to, trying to fix. And so from the very first throw, our warm-up for the most part compri is comprised of throwing-like activities. So either you know, dry drills and shadow throwing or actual throwing itself from very short distances at a very light intensity. And so then you ask yourself, say I only had a finite amount of time. Say you had only five minutes to warm up and you could do a throwing like warm up activity, such as a really light drill with a water bottle, or you could do uh, you know, rotator cuff exercise A, rotator cuff exercise B, rotate, rotator cuff exercise C, you know, hip mobility drill A, hip mobility drill B. Um, are those going to be better than the activity that's similar to throwing or is throwing, but at a very light intensity? Like if I want blood and, and warmth to penetrate deep into my elbow or deep into my shoulder, uh, because I'm going to use those a lot when I throw, why couldn't I throw but really light to get those to warm up, right? So when we watch uh, like the track athletes, when they're doing their warm-ups, they do a lot of stretches. They do a lot of, but most of their stuff that they do is like on their feet. They're moving, they're running, they're doing A skips, they're doing tempo skips, they're doing, you know, hamstring kicks, 
they're doing lots of things that are very similar to throwing, but I think a lot of times we get very quickly away from throwing activities when we're doing a throwing warm up. And I don't exactly get it. And to me, it becomes very, very tedious. And then it also begs the question where, especially for me, where I see a kid for a half hour lesson a week, you know, maybe twice a week, every minute that I'm with them is important. So if they're going to do, say I only have a certain, again, a finite amount of time in a week with someone, we could do a throwing drill that is working on the mechanics that I can help them through with instruction. Uh, and they could do that as part of their warm up to help fix their mechanics for the better and, and slowly integrate those changes. Or we could do exercises with the rotator cuff and that, this is the other thing. And, and so when you aggregate that extra time, that's extra two minutes where they're working on mechanics because they're doing eight throws from 30 feet rather than uh, some tubing exercises. Wouldn't those two minutes aggregate over, you know, course of a month? So four less than that's eight minutes. And then, you know, over the course of a year, that's a, that's a hundred minutes. And then over the course of five uh, years, that's 500 minutes. It's eight extra hours of specific deliberate practice for something that we're working on. That doesn't seem like a lot, five hours over five years, but it's uh, actually, that would be, eight hours, sorry. Um, that I think is purposeful. I think there's something there. And when I see these really long, tedious warmups that are 10, 15 minutes and, you know, a guy or girl has to show up super duper early to go through all this stuff. They have to do all their form running. They have to do all this stretching, then all these mobility drills, then all these rotator cuff exercises, and they have to call a partner over to like tap their arm and do all these crazy things. And they have to throw their weighted ball against the, uh, the wall for like five minutes, which that's a throwing like activity. So I approve that, but it ends up being this really long drawn out process where you say, okay, well, couldn't you do a lot of that stuff at some other time? Is it more like long-term strengthening, long-term, whatever, uh, do you really have to do that right before when time is probably short? or you just have other things that need to get accomplished in a practice and we can get right into throwing drills and make some of our first throwing drills your quote-unquote warm-up i mean isn't the best warm-up for throwing throwing because i feel like it is and sometimes i feel like i'm crazy but i feel like throwing is still the best warm-up for throwing just like squatting is probably the best exercise to warm up for squatting and running at a lighter intensity is probably the best warm-up for sprinting right like no other exercise is going to work the same muscles in the same sequence and pattern uh, as the actual movement itself. And so sure, a lot of young kids, they get the ball and they just chuck it as hard as they can. And there's like zero to 60. And we, I literally explain to them what warming up means. And I ask them, I said, what do you think it means to warm up? And they say, well, and it's gradually building up to your full speed. And I think no matter what you do, if you do that, then I think you're doing the warm up right. And I, I'm very sensitive, very, very sensitive to not making your sport your job because at some point it will absolutely become your job if you're good enough at it. And if you want to be good at it. And with that being said, I think everyone at a certain point just absolutely laments warm ups. And at a certain point when you get really old in your sport and really beat up, you have to do much more warming up than you otherwise would if it's super hot out or if you're younger uh, and you recover faster and all that stuff. And so the question is like, how much should I burn myself out and be super diligent and like good old boy 
about how rigorous my warm-up is when you're still young and you're still sort of formative in your like passion for your sport and your love of your sport like are there other things that you could do to warm your body up that aren't just like this super long drawn out basically like arm care routine before you throw i just don't feel like we need to do an arm care routine to throw a baseball like i just don't think we do and when you look at uh relievers in pro baseball lots and lots of times you don't get much time to warm up now so when i was uh the seventh and then eighth inning guy in my 2015 season uh i would I, I had more structure to my night as a reliever than other guys did who didn't maybe have a defined role. So once I earned my setup man role as eighth inning guy, and obviously our closer had his set role, um, we had the two most, again, like set routines because I was going to throw the eighth and I had a very narrow uh, window of what situations I go into. Eighth if it's a, cl- if it's a save situation, ninth if the ball game's tied. Uh, that was pretty much it. So... I knew in the fifth inning, I could go into the clubhouse and get coffee and I could start rubbing my arm with some warm, hot stuff. I could sit in there with, with a heat pack on for 20 minutes if I wanted to start, just like start the warming up process early if I felt like it. Uh, then I could walk out, I could start, you know, wiggling my arms around and I could start just like getting my body loose. I could go do flexibility exercise or mobility exercise in the clubhouse way before it was my time knowing that I was going to probably pitch the eighth if the those situations were ready. Or if we got into a jam or something and I might go in the seventh, uh, it, I still wasn't going to go in the sixth. Like there was very, there was almost no scenario in which I went in, in the sixth or earlier. Um, but even then, there were many times where I was called like that, like, hey, get blue hot, can he be ready to face this righty in two hitters? And I have to be like pretty much ready to go in the game in like less than four minutes. And uh, you just like, at that point you realize, okay, I can grab my band and I can do like a million of these really, really fast. Uh, or I can just, just get to throwing and start throwing faster. Like which one is really gonna be better at like targeting and getting blood into my arm? Uh, I don't know that like if I'm in a, in a really big rush that I should be like flying through these and that's really like doing me better than just like throwing which is a full body motion which is not just getting my arm ready but it's also getting my hips loose and my core loose and all of these other body parts because throwing is a whole body exercise so to me it's still just and and i don't know that any of us ever felt like getting loose ultra fast like that like sitting to in the game in less than five minutes wrecked us or had any long-term like effects i don't know that i ever felt like man i didn't pitch well because i didn't get to warm up or i didn't my arm feels cruddy because i didn't get to do all my bands uh the other night like i don't know that i ever really felt a tangible effect Uh, i think when you're just not warming up fast enough you just don't warm up that fast and that sounds like obvious and somewhat stupid but you just like know how fast you're getting prepared to do what you have to do and when it's really cold and there's like and it's just like a practice it's just like everyone's stiff and it just like takes a while to warm up but when you get your name called and you get a burst of adrenaline even if it's that same temperature and you were sitting before starting to throw just like at that practice you just get going quicker because again the hormones and all this stuff and you get ready in the amount of time you need to do the job and uh if this is just again like that cold day in practice 
and I'm not warming up, it just takes longer to warm up. It's not like I have to necessarily do something else to speed that process up. Like the process will take as long as the process takes. So I don't know that, I don't know that arm exercises really shorten that curve up that much. You know, if I spent two minutes doing rotator cuff versus two minutes of light throwing, going through a drill, I don't know that I'm going to come out faster, warmed up faster, or really more thoroughly with one than the other. Because one is using the exact muscles with the exact intensity that I would when I'm throwing because I'm actually throwing. And the other one is using a specific set of muscles that are generalized and similar, but not they're not throwing a ball. So... I just feel very conflicted because number one, I, I hate warm-ups and I know everyone else hates warm-ups. No one likes warming up. No one likes laying out in the outfield, you know, doing these mobility drills or doing their tubing exercises. And when you consider how, like all these things they really do for, so for parents and coaches that I'm speaking to, the little annoyances, they add up. I've, I've talked about things that aggregate earlier, all the little practice time that all that little stuff aggregates over time. And the irritating things also aggregate over time. As a pitcher, especially, you know, you sit around so much. If I pitched in a game, I, I got to play baseball for like five minutes. And the better I played, the less I was out there, right? If I had a really good inning, it was like three minutes. If I pitched really terrible, it's like 12 minutes. So the less I play, the better. So the ideal range of me playing is between zero minutes and like four minutes or five minutes. So so much of it is spent sitting around and doing doing tedious boring things doing my arm care after my start or the you know the morning of doing my running in pregame doing all my flexibility in the clubhouse uh just doing all all of those things like you constantly are like stretching your body out and strengthening it and conditioning and doing all these other things and then you're shagging fly balls you're doing pfps you're watching the whole game knowing that you're not going to participate in most of it and that rings true for everything. Even if you're a shortstop and I'm talking to you about throwing warmups rather than just as a pitcher. And so when you try to keep people engaged and passionate, everyone has a finite limit of how much they can give to their sport. Some people have a higher tolerance for doing those awful things. I had like an, I had like an infinite tolerance for doing arm care in college, for doing all that good old boy stuff, for doing my mobility, my stretching. I stretched every day. I ran almost every day if we didn't run with it as a team. Like I didn't have real off days. I always did something, whether it was more conditioning or dry drills in my house or whatever. I always did stuff. I had, again, like infinite passion to do all that. Uh, but later in my career, that was not the case. And it's over like this body of your whole career. It's this long term you're only going to have so many units, you can call them blue it units, of motivation. And if you chip away all of them when you're 12 to 15 years old because you do the longest warm-up of all time and you run all the million sprints and you do the million, you're forced to do all this stuff that you don't really want to do because it's not fun, because it's, that's not fun when you're a kid. It's not fun when you're 25 years old. Uh, you do it because you know you have to do it, but it still chips away at you. I was completely and utterly burned out of arm care, of strength training, of flexibility and all that stuff in the second half of my 20s. Just I just absolutely abhorred all of it. I hated it. Doing it was the worst thing ever. I still sucked it up, but certainly I didn't do it with as much zeal and I did the minimum amount I had to, or I could do to get by. It was very much the minimum effective dose when I was older, which is the, the ideal dose no matter what age you are. But when you're younger, you're, you're more willing to like 
try it out and like do as much as you can because you don't know what the minimum effective dose is. But when I was older, I was like, I'm doing three sets of 15 and I'm getting the hell out of this weight room and I don't ever want to see that two pound dumbbell again. And, uh, I know that when I did retire, it was just such a relief to not have to think about my shoulders anymore. Don't have to think about my rotator cuff. I just pick up a ball and I throw it. I don't ever warm up and it's glorious. It's like the best thing that's ever happened. And again, I'm not saying that because just because I got burned out and I hated it, that therefore no one should warm up because that's definitely not the case. But my argument here is that I do think that throwing lightly with a purpose, doing mechanical drills, but throwing lightly, I do think it's the best warm up for throwing. I don't think there's an exercise that's more specific to throwing than throwing. And if you're saying, well, well, we just want to get the rotator cuff warm, get it warm with throwing, and then you can strengthen the crap out of it with an arm care routine, you know, straight out of the New York Yankees playbook after you've thrown. You have infinite time to do stuff other, like do it elsewhere. But I just know that every time you show up, sometimes you just like, I just want to get to swing off the tee. I just want to start taking ground balls. I don't want to have to run out in the outfit with a trainer, go back and forth. And like, I just want to do what I feel like I need to do to get ready. And when that's when you get to the higher levels of, especially pro baseball, the trainer doesn't like warm you up in the outfit anymore. You like do your own thing because you've spent enough time under other people's supervision, under other people's direction, being, you know, all right, we're going to do karaoke. All right, we're going to do arm circles. All right, you've done that for so many years. Everyone has an idea. They know when they're loose. They know when they're ready to play. And if I feel like I'm loose and I'm ready to play, I don't need to do more karaokas. I don't need to do more high knees. I don't need to do more A skips. If I feel like I'm ready and I've been doing this for a long time, then I'm ready. And certainly when you're young or if you're coaching a young team, you need someone to show you the way. You need someone to show you what it looks like to warm up. You need to show someone what it looks like to do things the right way because you're not, you're not young forever and you're not impervious to injuries or any of that stuff. You're not bulletproof. Um, and so I would highly advise coaches because most of the time if you send them out there say, hey, just start throwing, they're just going to start winging the ball at each other, right? They're going to they're gonna go from zero to 100 very, very fast. But if you say, hey, everyone's at 30 feet, we're starting just with this drill A, hit your partner in the chest, kind of coach them into throwing softly. And by having them short distance, that's one of the best things to do because kids are, they're not going to just wing it at you when they're 30 feet away. You're going to get more good quality throws that are going to have a purpose rather than perhaps spending five minutes warming up doing things that maybe aren't that purposeful. So... I'm not advocating for just grabbing, just sending your team to the outfield and just having them start their throwing drill routine. I'm not really advocating for that. I'm advocating for balance. So if you're a coach, you're a parent, or you're a player that has this 15 minute, 20 minute warm up routine for like a normal day, for like a normal game of catch, a normal just bullpen, whatever it is, you need to rethink, I think, what you're doing. Now, if this is your starting routine, your starting pitcher, you should have a longer, more rigorous routine. Absolutely, you should do everything. You know, you should go through your flexibility, your, like your static stretching, your mobility. I do believe in static stretching, just not right before the activity. I would show up to the ballpark, you know, two hours before my start. I would do my static stretching as one of the first things that I did with my headphones in, like getting mentally ready. I would do that because it definitely loosened up my joints, especially my hips. So for men out there who have tight hips, 
I do recommend static stretching, but I would do that way earlier. And I would do that at home. I would do that on an ongoing basis because it was just lengthening and stretching out my joints in a more permanent sort of way, which does work by the way. Uh, and then at the field, it would be pretty much all dynamic stuff, right? Like mobility drills. So you're never like static stretching and your dynamic warmups, you know, you're always moving, doing something. Um, and so don't necessarily demonize like true stretching. I think they have their place. It's just not immediately before an exercise or immediately before the sport. But if you're a starter, go through your whole routine as much as you can. Uh, it's completely fine to have a longer one, but on every single day, every time you pick up a ball, every time you have practice, every time you have catch all these look little more routine, mundane forms of throwing. I just don't believe that a long drawn out thing is the best thing for long term, long term mental buy-in and, uh, and just like physically, I think throwing the ball is going to be a lot like throwing the ball. And I think as coaches, you just have to toe the line and pick your battles as far as teaching them the way, teaching them professionalism, teaching them the value of routine, teaching them the right way to do things, but then also not being too gung ho. And again, I think a 15 minute, 20 minute, all these millions of arm exercises, those are a little gung ho. And I've seen players who they just go through so much stuff before throwing 12 pitches in the game. And it's like, dude, that all that, all that stuff like didn't change how your outing went. And if you didn't do it, and this is the other thing that I want to touch on before we conclude, a lot of times players use the routine as a crutch. And I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again here in 2014. So in 2012, I blew up my elbow for the second time. I got Tommy John a second time. It was not because I didn't warm up. Uh, I blew up my elbow a second time. Um, actually fun fact, when I spoke at the American sports medicine Institute, uh, annual baseball injuries conference last year, I explained that I got a cadaver graft, which means a, a dead guy's, uh, hamstring went into my elbow for my first surgery. And I explained that in my talk and afterwards, uh, Dr. Andrews and, uh, a couple other doctors, they came up to me. They're like, I think I know who you, who you did your surgery and no one does it that way. And you could probably sue for malpractice if you wanted to. And I was like, eh, I really would have like rather not known that because it's so far in the past that I don't want to like, I don't want to harbor, I want to, don't want to dig up bitterness and dig up things and start thinking of, well, this doctor screwed me. Cause that's not the kind of person I want. I don't want to like, it happened. You know, I, I chose that doctor. I'm not saying that I'm responsible for it cause I chose him, but just like you, I use this analogy in other videos and like you would wander through a forest and a limb might fall on you. You might stub your toe on a, on a branch. Uh, you might get stung by a bee. These are just things that happen to you just sort of walking through nature. And so I put other people into that same category of nature. I recently, uh, had a friend screw me out of a decent amount of money because I did something for him, for his program, uh, that, you know, this is a university, uh, they didn't pay me. So I put in a lot of work. I paid an employee to help me and I just didn't get, I just didn't get paid. And, uh, he sort of stopped answering my calls and I don't know where that leaves our friendship. And this is a tangent, but, uh, I could be really pissed about it and I could be really pissed at him and this could potentially ruin our friendship or what I've, the way I've been reframing it is just saying that, look, you're going to get parking tickets. You're going to get speeding tickets. Like these things are going to happen to a certain, a certain amount of time as a businessman, as a regular person, whatever, you're just going to lose money 
just existing in the world. There's lots of ways you can lose money. And rather than being really pissed off and bitter and irritated, which I could be, you know, I, um, just like, it's one of those things, like I stub my toe in the woods and these things happen sometimes rather than like putting it on that person. That's sort of where I've, how I've reassigned that because there's just no point in being angry about it. It's happened. I can't do anything about it. And it is what it is. So looking back at my elbow, uh, this is the same thing. Like I just don't want to go back there and start saying my life could have turned out different if I had chosen a different doctor, if you doctor hadn't done this thing. And I don't like my first doctor. He was very cold. He didn't care about me at all. And that was part of the other message I, I explained in my talk. Uh, but even then I just like, I don't want to file a malpractice suit. I don't want money from that. I don't care. And so my point of all this was, and for you in, in podcast land, I actually stopped this recording for, well, actually I just like stood there for a minute. Cause I actually did forget what I was about to say. So I, I stopped it and I edited that part out. Um, but the story that, that I think really changed me as an athlete was in 2014, after I got my second surgery, after I came back, I was, I had a spring training contract with a team called the Somerset Patriots. And I had to report to spring training. I had to leave on April 7th from Bloomington normal. And my partner, Lucas and I, our business together, uh, we had just moved the old business, the, we were a little piece in this bigger facility that went out of business. And we could have stayed there, but we decided that that sinking ship was very uncertain and we should leave. So we found a new facility and we found it, I think it was like 17 or 18 days before I had to leave. It was an old abandoned, well, hadn't had any, uh, a tenant in it for like, I think two years. And it was just disgusting. It was a former body shop. It was just filled with trash, filled with old cars. It was like storage. And they had just like taken all of their old auto body shop stuff out and just left and like didn't clean the place at all. There's Bondo on the floor. It was disgusting. And uh, we had to convert that from this disgusting warehouse to our brand new facility ready for business before I left in 17 days. And it was the longest 17 days of our, our two lives. And we had tons of help from our clients. They were amazing. They came out to our rescue. But I like was, I had been building up for that spring training you know, rehabbing, doing everything to be peaked and ready to make that team, which was hard to do. And it was hard to come back into baseball. This was a higher level than I'd ever played at. And I just didn't get the chance to do it. In the last three weeks, the last two and a half, three weeks, the absolute crunch time where everything was going to happen, I couldn't do any of the stuff that I knew I had to do to be successful. So I think I played catch like two or three times. I like did arm care, I think exactly twice. Every day I was just like on my knees scraping old masking tape off the floor so we could put tape, uh, we could put turf down. You know, it was just, it just, it couldn't happen any other way. Like life just happened. We had to take care of that. I had to put in my share and we were working like 16 hours a day on that facility. And I was completely and utterly like, I was at the worst level of preparation to be at the most important tryout, the most important spring training of my life at that point. Because if I got cut there, which I ended up getting cut, uh, that could have been the end of my career. It's like I, my, this comeback wouldn't have happened. I had to make that team. Now, I showed up to spring training, and there was just nothing I could do about it. I was just unprepared. And I said, and I was nervous about it, and I said, Dan, um, how are you going to pitch in this spring training? And I said, I'm going to pitch great. Like, I just don't care. I don't care that I'm unprepared. I didn't forget how to pitch. I am going to make this team 
and I'm going to shove the ball through the strike zone. And uh, I just, my mindset, having that mindset that I don't care that I'm unprepared, I'm prepared because everything in my life has gotten me to this point, and I'm mentally prepared to throw that baseball better than I've ever thrown it before. That was my mindset. It's like lack of preparation be damned. Like it doesn't matter. That doesn't affect me. I'm going to make this team, whether I'm prepared to pitch or I'm not prepared to pitch, I'm going to pitch great either way. And that mindset was imperative for me to pitch well for the rest of my career as a reliever. Cause I was just getting up. I was just like sitting there on the bench talking about just like God knows what in the bullpen. And then, Hey, Dan needs to go in the game and three hitters. Can he be ready? And you start realizing that your routine is something that keep you on track. It's something to teach you discipline and professionalism and to give you the proper doses of the long-term things that you need, the mechanical drills, the consistency to aggregate. It's just like having a mechanic for your train that's going to be in service for 50 years. Like you need mechanics to like keep all the wheels turning, to keep all the things lubricated, to change the oil and change the, all those things. I don't know what trains are all made of metal. Who knows what the trains made out of, but that's what your routine is. That's what your warm up is. It's just, it's like your mechanic to keep you going, but your train can run without a mechanic for a couple of days and you can pitch and you can play well without your routine some days, except when you can't. And a lot of players can't because they get so ingrained and so focused on the routine. And specifically, you know, when I say routine, I really mean like warm up, but uh, then they just don't know what to do. They're like, oh no, I, I don't feel good enough. Like I haven't, I haven't finished all my, I haven't finished all my like plyo throws off the wall. I haven't finished all my stretches. I, I'm not, I'm not ready to go in the game. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. It's like you're going in. So just, just be ready. Like you have to go do your job. And so there's also that component. I think having some, I, I don't know exactly how to do it, but, and I just think it takes mental strength. And I think it means talking to them and showing them sometimes. And for me, it just, it was that lesson there. It was like, I'm completely and utterly unprepared, but this is not going to affect me. Like, I don't care. My routine was there to help me just cause it's not there today. I can swim without my water wings. Right? So you have to be cognizant as a coach of not over coaching them. Number one, cause they have to be able to do it on, the, on their own. That goes for any aspect of the game. And just number two, it's okay that they don't have the world's most impeccable routine every time they do something because most of the time they're going to have to improvise in the game. And many times before the game, they'll have to improvise high school and uh, junior high uh, showcases and tournaments are the great example of that. I went to a showcase or I, I went to a tryout with the Arizona diamondbacks. They called in a ton of independent players and just like free agent prospects because they're very big in scouting independent players to this workout in Arizona in 2000s, early 2016. And they invited me cause they'd scouted me that previous year. I pitched really well. And, uh, I got to the field at 12 for the workout. I didn't know how many players were going to be there. There were like, I think like close to a hundred. Uh, and I think it was like 50 or 60 pitchers. I didn't pitch till 9 PM. Like I got to the field, like ready to go. And it was just like, all right, good job pitchers. You're going to be the last ones to go after we do outfield, after we do infield, after we do catchers, after we do hitting. And then I was like number 40th pitcher to go or something. So a lot of guys were sitting around there like, ah, oh God, I just like, I need to go. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to get ready for this. Like, I'm, I don't know when I'm going to pitch. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to pitch either, but I'm not going to see your stress about it. I'm going to, uh, just chill. Like I usually pitch at nine to PM anyway. So 
it's just kind of like a normal day for me. I'll just like wait till I get two guys away and then I'll just start going through my normal routine. And if I have to get, they call my name, say, Hey, we need you on the mound. I'll just like go to the mound, but that there's going to be chaotic environments like that all the time where it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Showcases are another, just like a great example. Cause there's gonna be a ton of kids there, right. For these, these, uh, high school recruiting showcases, tons of times at these tournaments that I coach that our teams coach, uh, our senators teams play at, you get to the field. All right. You're scheduled for a 2 PM game. You get there. The game ends. It's one You're on the field at half an hour before, which is pretty typical. And then the umpires show up five minutes later, like, Hey, we're gonna start early. And that pisses me off as a coach. But at the same time, that's just another example. Like you gotta be ready and there's nothing really can really do about it. I do like kind of delay with the umpires. And I, I do things about it when I can, but at the same time, pitchers, and everyone just needs to be ready for this sort of like chaos that is youth baseball and just start times. And especially if you're a pitcher, when you're going to enter the game. So I think the mental preparation of it is, is very important, but it also, again, you can't have water wings on every kid for everything that they do. And I, if I'm going to summarize here, I wouldn't underestimate the power of really good throwing drills and specificity by just throwing. So again, don't send them out there and just have them wing the ball because that's what most kids do. Structure out a throwing warm-up. Structure out a throwing pr progression. Start very close. Start with sort of isolated drills. So the first couple of drills I do, their hips are fixed, so their feet are planted. Well, because their feet are planted, their hips can't like rotate as much as normal. So they physically couldn't throw the ball as hard as they could, like not even close because you know, they're not getting their whole body involved. We're working on little mechanical things. Um, those servers are really good warmups because again, they're, they're shortening the delivery. They're not allowing the athlete to use as much of their body. And thus they can't produce as much force through any given joint. So it kind of like forces them to warm up because they're going to throw it at max 60%. If they just went as hard as they could, it wouldn't come out very hard. So therefore they're like, it's just like putting a limiter on your car. So I think those are really valuable, but I think my take home message, if I had to sum up this whole blabbermouth podcast is coaches just know that warmups, they just really suck. They just really awful. They're tedious. They're boring. There should be a certain percentage of your practice that's devoted to structuring them and teaching them routine and professionalism and discipline. Those things are great, but find the balance between it not being the most tedious, awful, boring practice in the world because they have years to have to do that stuff. In college, they will have four to five hour practices every day, tons of that tedious stuff, and they will hate it. And then in pro ball, as long as they go, they will be forced to do that on their own volition and they will hate it. They will do it because they love the game and they want to be successful, but they will continue to hate it. So while they're kids, especially, cause I know a lot of parents uh, and coaches listen to this and young athletes listen to my podcast. And I appreciate all of you who emailed me or sent me a message. I greatly appreciate you telling me your story. So thank you for doing that. And feel free. If you haven't done that yet, shoot me a message. I'm accessible. I rate everyone back, but I know in general what my audience is here and don't, underestimate the burnout kids will feel because sports are more structured than ever. Kids don't go out to the park and play. They don't do all that stuff. So now when they're playing baseball, they're playing softball. It's so structured. And most of the things that are structured are boring. They're just boring. They're just tedious and that's not fun. Uh, and so I know that <laughs> when I do 
lessons now. And I started doing this because my shoulder hurt so much after I re retired. I would throw sidearm. And then just out of boredom, I would start to just throw like infielders. I just like lean on my right foot and throw, I'd throw off my left foot and throw. I'd bend over, I'd pick the ball off the ground and throw it from the ground. Like I was acting like I'm Brandon Phillips or something. And it just was fun for me. And it's still fun. I still throw back to my kids all the time. They'll throw it to me and I'll just catch it where it is and throw it like, uh, again, like an infielder. I just pick a different arm angle and just like throw it back weird. I throw all sorts of pitches back at them now because it's just fun. It's just something that I, I, I don't know. I threw the ball the same way my whole life. And now no one's telling me what to do. I don't care if my arm gets hurt, even though it feels great. Um, I'm not saying like that's going to lead to injury because I don't believe it is. But the point is like, I'm just like playing. I'm just playing when I'm throwing back to kids now. Whereas for a, so much of my life, every throw was you must throw this way. I must throw perfect so that I'm more repeatable and I can throw better strikes in the game. And now it's just like throwing again is just like play and throwing the ball back to my lessons kid is fun. It's like fun to me. Like it used to be when I was a kid and it hasn't felt like that in a long way. It's been so purposeful and disciplined for so long that the most fun I've had, like actual, like feel happy, smile, like kind of like silly challenging myself. Fun is throwing the ball back to the lessons that I do, which is, which is weird. Uh, but it's like, it's very telling to me because I don't have all that stupid structure. And so there's a balance again, kids need to learn that structure and discipline and routine are important. They're, they're so important, but there needs to be the right balance of letting it be fun and letting it be unstructured. And that's where I think warmups miss the point. And that's, and I think the farther you depart from throwing, the less fun it gets. And then the more of it you do that's not throwing, the less fun it gets. And then you just don't know how many kids are going to drop out of baseball or softball uh, a couple years later, but just because like everything they do is so structured and militarized and just not fun. And at the end of the day, the kids that really want to be great will find extra stuff to do to be great. I posted this silly little video on Instagram. Actually, it's on YouTube too. It's not silly, but I posted it in, in my car, one of those little like selfies as I was parked. I don't do those while I'm driving. I think that's really sketchy. Uh, but I just talked about how like when I was in college, I went home and I got on the internet and I searched for ways to get better. And all the best athletes that I've trained they do that same thing. They don't come to me and ask me questions because they've already figured them out on their own. They'll come and say, Hey, like I was, I was watching this video on YouTube. I read this article on the internet. Do you agree with this thing that I learned? And the point is that they learned it already on themselves because they went home hungry for more and they dug and they flipped over rocks to try to find out if they could find that answer underneath one of them. And, uh, and I think that's really important. So all of this warm up and structure, we're not saving kids from, any of this stuff. We're not like building necessarily their work ethic with that stuff. We're showing them what routine and structure is, but you're not teaching kids how to work hard when you're giving them all of this stuff. You're just giving them all this stuff. They will decide if they want to work harder and put in the extra effort compared to everyone else when they find that they have this passion that grows inside because they love what they're doing. So these long warmups, are probably in the long run, who knows if you agree with me or, or not on this. I would say on the long run, if they're so structured and tedious and boring, they're going to cause more kids to drop out of baseball rather than ignite the flames that keep kids in baseball and softball longer. That's my guess. Who knows if you agree with the whole premise of this, 
this sort of contrarian uh, podcast episode. But the older I've gotten, the more I'm an advocate for fun, for keeping baseball and softball fun, for not ruining it, for not taking it too seriously, and for allowing kids to be kids. They should want to go to the field. I know that right now, and I, I said this to someone, one of my friends the other day, because of the silly way that I throw back to all of the lessons, kids, and the way I throw back when I'm at practice, uh, the way that it's just like throwing is fun for me again, it makes me want to play adult league baseball, which I swore to God that I would never play another inning of baseball after I retired. I had absolutely zero desire to ever do so again. I want to play at the highest level uh, or not ever play again. And that feeling did not waver one bit because baseball was so disciplined for me and it was so structured for me and I had such purpose in everything that I did that it was it was just like one foot after another climbing this mountain and I just wanted to get to the top. There was no like stopping and like, you know, like basking in the surroundings. It was just like I wanted to get there. And that was purposeful for me. I don't regret any bit of that. Like I loved what I did. I loved my career. But I never wanted to play because I just knew that I didn't want to prepare to play. I didn't want to have to do arm care again. I didn't want to have to go through all those things that you have to do that burden you over time to play baseball at a high level or to play softball, to to do anything great at a great level. I had such a high standard for myself that I know that if I were to pitch in an adult league, uh, you know, now or in the future, and I physically couldn't have done it after my career, uh, after I retired because my shoulder was wrecked. It's since healed two years later, but uh, mostly healed. Probably not as healed as I think it is. But I just baseball was so disciplined and structured that I would never want to do that again without the high stakes of like pitching in front of fans and this rush and this potential of getting promoted and getting to the ultimate high level of the major leagues. That was the that was what I wanted to play for. And so that's why I tolerated all the discipline and the tedium and the awful arm care exercises and warm-ups and whatever. And so if you take away all the spoils, all of that great stuff, the fans and the pressure and those moments and the travel and all that stuff, if you take all that away, why in God's name would I want to play baseball in some backyard field with no one watching and on some crummy uh, maintained, you know, rec park? against guys that I could strike out just like my eyes closed. Like, why would I want to do that? There's like, there's literally no reason. There's no payoff whatsoever for putting in all that work to play that, that game of baseball. But now, since I started throwing back to little baseball and softball players like an infielder, throwing felt fun again. And since throwing felt fun again, it made me want to go play baseball again. And it made me think about baseball the same way that I thought about it as a kid. It's almost like it reset me to like, I could go play infield. I never played infield my whole, I was never good at taking ground balls because I I basically played outfield from when I was little all the way up. So I was kind of afraid of like the ground balls, like to just to be honest with with you, like in PFPs until I was about 25 when I was just like, dude, you're keeping your head down. I would like flinch on PFP ground balls. I just like never got enough of them as a kid. I just was, I don't know. Uh, I was always an outfielder, but now I like, I'm really good at throwing at weird angles back to, back to lessons. And, uh, I feel like I could like, I would like to like try to learn how to play second base or play third base and like make those throws across the diamond in a game. Like that would be fun to me. And I don't think I'm going to do this, but the fact that my sentiment towards 
baseball, something I've done my whole life has changed so much from this disciplined professional endeavor to this fun game that it's like changed from some little mundane thing is astonishing to me. Like I've just been coming to terms with this like idea that I might actually want to play again, but not as a pitcher, but just as like others, other things and like not care and not like, just like, Oh, I throw one away. Like who cares? Like, Oh, look at that great play I made. Like, and I think that's telling because what maybe never want to play again without the highest possible stakes was the discipline, the routine and the tedium and all those necessary evils. And I say evils because they're just boring and just like awful to do, but you do them. Those were the things that made me not ever want to play baseball again when I retired. And if I didn't have such a burning passion for it, I would have retired a long time ago because those things were terrible 10 years ago. And now that I don't have to do them and I can do whatever I want to do, I choose my destiny. And like, I feel like I want to play ball again. And I guarantee you there are kids on your team right now, if you're a coach or your son or daughter feels that way some percentage of the time, they feel like this sport is too much of a chore. I'd rather just go play video games. I'd rather just go like to the mall with my friends. I'd rather just go to, I guarantee they feel that some percentage of the time, but it doesn't outweigh how much they love their sport and the good times yet. But when it outweighs it, they will quit. So I'm not saying in a roundabout way that your long warmups will make kids quit, but I am kind of saying that. I just want you to rethink how long your warmup is, how structured it is, how disciplined it is, and really how important it is. And why can't it be more like throwing and if it can, probably make it more like throwing because it's going to be a little more fun. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> this was episode 64 of Dear Baseball Gods. And don't forget, subscribe on YouTube. I got like three videos coming out every week. There's lots of stuff on YouTube. So if you don't already, subscribe. And you can turn on like notifications so it'll tell you when I have a new video. But keep in touch. There's a lot of new stuff I'm doing also. I just finished a mental skills video course. And I'm going to tell you in 30 seconds why this is going to revolutionize something right now. You have two options. If your son or daughter struggles with the mental game and I get parents literally all the time. And ironically enough, uh, I don't know if Mark's listening. Mark, Mark is just a dad. He's a 12 year old and a 10 year old texted me while I was finishing the course page said, Hey, my son's been really struggling uh, with basketball mentally. He's just like really down on himself, really low confidence. Like I get that all the time and that's exactly why I put this course together and uh, I struggle with all that stuff as a player. So right now, if your son or daughter struggles with the mental aspect of the game, they, you see them crumble under pressure, you see them get nervous, they come home and they ruminate on their performances, they're just negative in their head, there's constant chatter, they don't know how to handle themselves, they don't know how to be a good routine or how to have a good routine or be a, a good teammate or be coachable. If they don't have all these higher level mental aspects of the game, they have two options. Read a book, which most kids just won't do. Number two, uh, they have to like see a presenter live in person. Like you have to call like a sports psychologist in or they have to go meet with them or they have to have, you know, one come and talk to their team or they can find some random videos on YouTube. Those are your only options. That's not great options. And the whole, like there's some great sports psychology books. There's some great baseball and softball books on the, the mental aspect of the game. And they're good, but just kids just don't read. I don't read. I audiobook like crazy. Uh, but it's just, it's really tough to say, hey, you're mentally broken. So I bought you this book and I want you to read it. And so you're going to sit down all the time and, and quietly read of how you can fix your mind. That's a really tough sell. So 
I started doing this for our senators and I just realized I'm like, this is like, everyone needs this. So I have a video course. It's, it's going to be, it's right now it's 38. It's gonna be 40 videos. I'm filming two more this evening actually to add to it, but they're all like four to six minute videos of me explaining and sharing stories and explaining, going through in lecture form, how you need to think what the right mindset is what the negative mindset is, how we can reframe and rethink things. And then there's a bunch of different exercises. I made seven worksheets, which is the first time I've done worksheets in a course. So you can, kids can write down and just be honest with themselves. This is how, this is the stuff that I say to myself in my head and look how mean it is. And here's some things that I'm really good at. Here's some, so here's some ways to reframe the negative stuff into a positive stuff. So I'd strongly recommend you check out my course and I hate doing sales pitches, but I'm really excited about it. Hopefully you can tell I'm really excited because I think this is something that a whole team could watch together. They could sit down and watch this together rather than having book club. Uh, and each kid could individually take it home with them as well. So I think this is a major underserved niche. And I think that this being a video course online is probably the best way to, to tackle it. And I don't think anyone's done it yet. And, uh, I'm not a sports psychologist. I do have a degree in philosophy and psychology. I studied this stuff a ton in college and I studied it because I, I lived and I struggled with this as a, as a pro athlete. I was brutal one season and it was terrible. So if you haven't heard that story, I'll link to it in the YouTube video. I'll put that one. It's episode 13. If you're in podcast land and audio land, episode 13 of this podcast, if you haven't heard it was the day that I, it was the worst day of my career. One of the worst days of my life. And it was what brought me to fix my mental mindset, learn to meditate. And if that hadn't happened, that terrible day in a clubhouse if that hadn't happened, uh, I wouldn't have made it any much farther in baseball because at that point, my confidence was so shattered that I had to make a change and I made it. But if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have had the mental strength to make it farther when I did start to get hit and get reach my sort of incompetence level in baseball. So sales pitch over, but I really, really believe in what I've done. I'm really excited about it. So I'd love for you to take it. Uh, and if your son or daughter has struggled with that, or if I'm talking to a young athlete yourself and you've felt that anxiety and that nervousness and that pressure on the mound, and you feel like a lot of times you don't handle as well as you could, then give it a shot. All right. This is Dear Baseball Gods. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.